alcoholic. Hi, man. Um, so we're at the end of the cycle, so we're going to do chapter seven tonight, as we uh, typically do. Um, so thanks for the opportunity. I always love to start this by um, just remembering between 1935 and 1939, before the big book was published, and they were doing this orally, right? They were going to the new person, sitting with them, having this discussion without a big book. Um, they would have this sometimes back and forth conversation with a new person, where, which eventually became the doctor's opinion and the first four chapters. And that initial discussion for most of these old timers is like an hour, an hour and a half long. And it went something like this. Um, they would explain the disease concept like we do in the doctor's opinion. And then, like in Bill's story, chapter one, I would go through my experience with alcohol and how I developed physical craving and that mental obsession so that the person across the table can relate to me. Um, and then I would talk about the solution like we do in chapter two. At that point, that new person might think, eh, kind of get it, but I don't know if I really understand it. And so I would then hammer the mental obsession, the mental obsession, the mental obsession, the mental obsession. You are powerless over alcohol because you've lost the power of choice and drink. And that's what we do, as you guys know, in chapter three. So then the guy might say, okay, I'm done. I get it. Um, and we remind him, you got one opportunity, and that's with a higher power to relieve the mental obsession, like they do in chapter four with people who are struggling with a concept of God. So that became part of what we talk about in chapter seven, that initial um, conversation. And when someone gets it right away, they just would work the equivalent of the 12 steps during that, that first four-year period. Once they had the book, now they, they had tested that, um, and they reduced it to writing, which is why they only talk about a couple visits. They have one visit, and they have a second visit. But in Chapter 7, there's no third visit. I don't know why that is. I don't know why that isn't. But they don't have a third visit. My guess is that they believed um, so profoundly in what they were presenting that if you were a real alcoholic, you would grab it, at least on the second visit. And if you didn't, you might not have much luck. So with that, let's just start. Um, it's, we all know chapter 7 is about the 12th step, and step 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. We try to carry this message, which is the steps, to the alcoholic and the practices, principles, and all of our affairs. <clears throat> so those three things are covered in these pages. The spiritual awakening, that psychic change, is kind of assumed in chapter 7 by the time you've gotten to it. But they talk about that state of mind on pages 100 to 103. Um, the carry this message is the bulk of this from 89 to 100. And then uh, the practices of principles is, is also that, that end section in, in 100 to 103. So let's start as we normally do at this group. So practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. 
Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So starting on page 89, they're telling us that we have this great opportunity to be a channel for God's power. We've been given our sanity back and we've been given the instructions to take another human being through the 12 steps. So let's jump to page 90. Um, in the third paragraph, about halfway down the page on the far right, it starts then. So now, now we've got a potential prospect. Um, and, and basically they're saying, wait until this person wants the help. Then let his family or a friend ask him if he wants to quit for good and if he would go to any extreme to do so. If he says yes, then his attention should be drawn to you as a person who has recovered. You should be described to him as one of a fellowship who, as part of their own recovery, try to help others and who will be glad to talk to him if he cares to see you. Um, if he does not want to see you, never force yourself upon him. So we need to wait until that person's willing to actually receive the help. Neither should the family hysterically plead with him or do anything, nor should they tell him much about you. They should wait for the end of his next drinking bout, which hopefully would cause great consternation and that feeling of despair and the willingness to actually have you enter the room. So on top page 91 in the second paragraph, they want to keep the family out of the conversation, which seems like common sense. Um, but, you know, people, I know with me, I was embroiled with my family. And if they were engaged in that conversation, I wasn't going to get very far. So it says, when your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you, and sometimes a stranger, right, without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed or spiritually dead. <laughs> so again, we've got this person who's desperate um, to talk, who's really confused, who might be at the last leg here. So here's the first visit. And the trick here is for me to speak about my own drinking with the goal of this person identifying. We see it all the time in the rooms where very good intentioned people will find a new person in a meeting and, and they'll just say, hey, tell me about your drinking. And that's the opposite of what the big book says. Because when I was a new person, if someone asked me to tell me about their drinking, I wanted to know what you were going to do to use that against me. Mm. And I wasn't going to tell you anything about mm. my drinking. Um, what the big book says is I'm supposed to the person with the 12 steps talk about my drinking so that this new person has the possibility of actually relating. So here's the first visit. See your man alone if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. Get this guy to start relating. Um, and there's a really interesting transition that now happens on 91 to 92. And it goes from a general conversation to an alcoholic conversation to alcoholism to a fatal disease. 
And it happens in a couple paragraphs. So again, I'm talking to this new person as me now as an alcoholic. When he sees that you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Tell him how baffled you were, how you finally carried, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest that you do this as we have done in the chapter on alcoholism, which is chapter three. So we're referencing back now to that chapter three where it's nothing but the mental obsession over and over and over again. The idea that we believe the lie that we can drink safely, we tell ourselves that lie, we believe it, and then we pick up the first drink. If he is alcoholic, he will understand you at once. He will match your mental inconsistencies with some of his own. Uh, If you are satisfied that he is a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So now it's getting a little deeper. Show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So again, I'm talking about the mental obsession in, in my own words and in my own experiences. Don't at this stage refer to the book unless he has seen it and wishes to discuss it. And be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he is not too alcoholic, Hmm. but insist that if he is severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. And that's in that moment, he doesn't quite believe it if I have that guy Um, And my job is to say, maybe you're right, maybe you're not, and maybe you are. So why don't we just keep talking about it a little bit and and see see what happens next. So now the book shifts to this idea of alcoholism being a crippling, fatal illness um, with a physical craving and that mental obsession, really the, the essence of the first step. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady, Talk about the condition of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you, the person who's got the 12 steps, may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. So the idea here is by this time, the new guy hopefully is starting to relate because I've told him about my own story and, and how alcohol affected me physically. When I'd put the first drink in, it would force the second, third, fourth, on and on and on until I blacked out, passed out, or did something stupid. And it's always precipitated and begun with that mental obsession. So if we, we uh, transition over to page 93, Um, Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious. So now he kind of knows that I have something that he doesn't have, and he might be willing to admit it, but he might not, and he might ask that question. Um, He's curious to know how I got well. Let him ask you that question if he will, Um, and then we present the solution. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your own conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. So clearly, we've just given this guy the second step. Um, And we don't know where he is 
understanding it yet within this first visit, but I've talked to him about the first step. I've gotten him potentially to relate. He's asked maybe the question, what did you do? Because you and I are very different now. So we've told him about the solution in, in step two. Um, the rest of the page really talks about strictly keeping religion and personal convictions out of the discussion. It says don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are, which is a really good idea. Uh, and it really, he might be confused. I go to church every week. I did that. I went to church every Sunday while I was drinking. And, you know, it never did anything for me. Um, but my church didn't have the problem, physical craving, mental obsession, and training about that. And it didn't have the right solution and the prescription of recovery. So it's just a different conversation. All right, so 90, 94. We are still in the first visit. And what are we doing at the top of 94? We're explaining the practical program of action of steps 3 through 12. In the first paragraph, it says, outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past, and why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize that your your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital, like a heartbeat, a critical, vital part in your own recovery. the big book understands and the, the writers understand that some people get this this right away and some people struggle with it and they hopefully get it a little bit later. And so what's going to happen here is there's one guy over the next couple pages who now understands what his problem is, what the solution is, and he starts working the steps. And then there's a guy who's stuck. So the, the reality is they're not going to focus their attention on the guy who's already doing the work because we're off running doing it. They're going to focus the book on the guy who's stuck. So uh, about halfway down it says, maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. This is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestions. Now this guy's identified, but he's fighting doing the work. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous if he doesn't know about it. If he shows interest, lend him a copy of the book. So, you know, I would sit there and tell him, I was there too. I didn't think this stuff was going to work, and I didn't, but I was hopeless, and I had nothing else that I could do. I was at the end of my rope, and these guys presented me with a solution that seemed to work with them, and so I, I tried, um, and miraculously something happened with me. So that's 94. He's still kind of stuck, right? So at the top of 95, um, it says, unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let, the, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. And the point here is he needs to be willing into action, not pressured into action. We can't pressure people into working the 12 steps. Our job is to present the 12 steps. And if somebody picks up the 12 steps and starts to recover and takes care of their lives, then so be it. And if they don't, then perhaps we've made a friend. And that's, that's the tone that the big book takes. Um, but the trick here is that this guy knows that I have a solution that he doesn't have, and he relates to me. So he knows we have the same problem, but we're in very, a radically different place in our lives because he's on the precipice of death, and I'm living a sober life. 
Um, just a couple sentences down, it says, never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kid of spiritual tools, the 12 steps, for his inspection. Show him how they worked with you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. Um, so there you go. This is certainly predates mass meetings, right? So you might not see this person a lot in 1939. But if he's going to a lot of meetings, you might see him the next day and the next day, right? Um, so now we got this guy who's kind of stuck. And maybe he's going to go read the book in between this first visit and the second time we really sit down with him with the steps. So in the middle of 95, it says, if he is sincerely interested, um, he isn't quite convinced, but he's sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read the book in the interval. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. Remember, you got one guy who's already doing the work, and you got one guy who just doesn't quite know yet. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, that desire must come from within. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that worked with us. But point out that, al that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly and let it go at that. He's been given the first couple steps. He's got, gotten the outline of the practical program of action. And now it's just a matter of time. He's going to continue to drink or he's going to hit that bottom and reach out for some help. On the top of 96, it reminds us that we work with the willing and then we move on. Um, and it says a couple lines down, we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic of an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. So again, I'm, I'm not going to go chase some guy down who doesn't want to talk about the steps. But we offer him friendliness and fellowship, and I'm not going to treat him any different than the person who's actually working the steps. Um, hopefully, right, we're supposed to be this beautiful, equal, loving, kind fellowship. And, and so, so be it. They show up at meetings, they don't do the work, and I love them just the same. So now we get to the second visit. He's stumbled a few more times, he's got drunk a few more times. The conversation has now taken hold, and he understands a little deeper that he's in deep. Suppose now you are making your second visit to a, to a man. He has read the volume and says he is now prepared to go through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. He wants the solution offered um, to take him through the steps. Having had the experience yourself, you can give him much practical advice. Let him know that you're available if he wishes to make a decision, step three, and tell his story, which is really the rest of the steps. But do not insist upon but do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult somebody else. Again, we are properly prepared to be able to take this person through the steps, but he might, he might not want to work with us, and that's okay. On the bottom of page 97, um, this guy is now willing and he begins to do the work. So at the very bottom, for the type of al alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. 
um, the next paragraph down, it's just reminding us as people who have been empowered with the steps that the new person's reliance is always upon God, not upon the sponsor or the person taking that person through the steps. So it goes, it is not a matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. <clears throat> Some of us have taken hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people, including a sponsor, ahead of dependence upon God. So in the background, this guy is now working the steps. And, and right here on page 98, that's where he's working four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and is now launching out into steps 10, 11, and 12 in that daily program of action. So when we pick up at the, at the bottom of 98 in the last paragraph, this new guy is beginning to live the, the 12 steps. And because of that, you can now focus on things in his life that are changing. So it says now, the domestic problem. There may be divorce, separation, or just strained relations. When your prospect has made such reparation in step nine as he can to his family and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he is living, which is 10, 11, and 12, he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. That is, if he is lucky enough to have a home. Though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration in steps 10, 11, and 12. Argument and fault-finding are to be avoided like the plague. In many homes, this is a difficult thing to do, but it must be done if any results are to be expected. If persisted in for a few months, so he's worked the steps, the first nine, and he's launched out on 10, 11, and 12, after a few months, the effect on a man's family is sure to be great. The next paragraph continues that idea. After they have seen tangible results as a result of the 12 steps, the family will perhaps want to go along. So that's the whole point, getting into the daily program of action. It took this guy a while to kind of get to that point where he was willing to do the work. Um, but because I was able to be um, non-threatening and I was not evangelical with him and you know, fanatic with him. I just talked to him like a normal human being in a loving, positive manner. He, well, new people are not dumb, right? Just like when I was a new person, I clearly understood certain things and we're all really street smart and I got it. I knew these guys had something I didn't have and I wanted it because I wanted it. Um, and then I wanted it because I wanted to save my life. All right, let's go to 100. On page 100, we talk about sponsorship in that, that first full paragraph, and it's this interchange with support, with a support group and how we support each other, and we, wa we walk shoulder to shoulder. It says, both you and the new person, the new man, must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. And to me, that's 10, 11, and 12. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So the fellowship is designed to help each other, predominantly with the 12 steps. And as we branch out into our lives, and we become you know, much more intimate with our lives. Let's jump to the bottom of page 100. So we've covered 
the, the work of how to take someone through the 12 steps. Um, now it's, it's going to that, that idea of practicing these principles in all of our affairs uh, and the idea that we've already had that spiritual experience. Um, so we're going to practice these principles. And what's really interesting to me is where the fellowship actually contradicts the big book in this regard. Um, and it, it's not about how sick other people are. It's about how healthy we are. So you're, you, so really, again, they're good-intentioned ideas, and some of them kind of make sense, but they do kind of contradict the big book, like people, places, and things. Don't go around people that are drinking. Don't listen to the Grateful Dead. Uh-huh. Don't go to rock concerts. Like you hear these things in AA, but when you read the text, it's, it's a little different because they're focused on how spiritually fit I am. So it says, assuming you are spiritually fit, we are spiritually fit. So I've had that psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery. We can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served. We must not have it in our homes. We must shun friends who drink. We must avoid moving pictures which show drinking scenes. We must not go into bars. Our friends must hide their bottles if we go into their houses. We mustn't think or be reminded about alcohol at all. Our experience, the first 100, shows that this is not necessarily so, meaning that person still believes the lie. We meet these conditions every day. An alcoholic who cannot meet them still has an alcoholic mind. There is something the matter with his spiritual status. So if you jump to the next paragraph, it reminds us the only defense to the mental obsession is a higher power who will return us to sanity. So it says, in our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking with a big contingency if we have a legitimate reason for being there. So I don't go hang out in bars. I don't belong hanging out in bars. Um, and I don't hang out at a bunch of Grateful Dead concerts. And I don't hang out with people in a crack house while they're smoking crack. And it's just common sense. Um, but the book is saying, in the normal course of life, I might be faced with these most of these things, not the crack house. But like family that drinks and parties and, and maybe a band that plays at a bar, these occasions will come up. And it tells me I'm supposed to focus again on my own spirituality and how spiritually fit I am. So it says that includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain, ordinary, whoopee parties. And I still don't know what that is. To a person who had, has experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification, and this is the 12-step action plan. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion when you're in that situation, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best but be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are on shaky ground, you had better work with another alcoholic instead. 
So when reviewing a place like that to go, the big book's telling us there's a quick little 12-step action plan. I'll give you my great example of this. When I was nine months sober, I moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I was a lifeguard on the beach. I'm 19 years old, 20 years old, and Alcoholics Anonymous. The next person up in age for me is 30. I live on an island. Um, and I, what am I going to do? I'm going to hang out with other 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds at the beach. And what we used to do is we'd play uh, two-man beach volleyball at the big bar on the beach. And everyone collected there except for Kevin. So I'm going to like be isolated on this island all alone in self-pity, or I'm going to go hang out with my peers. So I would sit with my sponsor, and we would open the book, and he would ask me those questions. How are you? Are you on solid spiritual ground? And half the time I'd be thinking, no, because Susie's at the bar, and I, I want to go see Susie. And I would just tell him, yeah, I'm great. And he would ask me the question, are you sure you're great? And I'm like, well, you know, I haven't been to a meeting in a couple of days. How's your 11th step? Oh, I kind of did it today. He's like, why don't we go work with somebody instead? Um, and then on other days, I'd be like, I feel pretty good. I'm going to go to the bar. We're going to play some volleyball or a tournament. And he'd, we'd check it out, and I'd feel pretty good, and I'd go. Um, so it's just this idea of kind of stopping and seeing where you're at before you enter some of these uh, places. I actually a couple times took a friend in AA to big family engagements, my big Irish Catholic family, where there's a hundred people and one of them is sober. That would be me. So um, it's just a good plan of action. I got a couple more minutes and then I'm going to stop. But if you go a little bit further down on 102, where they're talking about what, what our job is. My, I have a job now, now that I've been given the 12 steps. It says, uh, your job now is to be at a place where you may be of maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. And those are the old 12-step calls. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives, and God will keep you unharmed. Um, and again, alcohol in the bottle is not the problem. What the problem is is my mental obsession. And if that problem is removed, then that problem is removed, and I can live my life. So as many of us keep liquor in our homes, we often need it to carry green recruits through a severe hangover. Some of us still serve it to our friends, provided they are not alcoholic. But some of us think we should not serve liquor to anyone. We never argue this question. We feel that each family, in the light of their own circumstances, ought to decide for themselves. So we're kind of there. Um, they're telling us to go live in the real world where 90% of the world drinks. And some of them, unbeknownst to us, actually can do it normally and successfully. Like my wife, who will get a half a glass of wine, and eight hours later, it's like a fourth of a glass of wine. Total alcohol abuse. I don't understand it, um, and it's the craziest thing in the world. But that's the world, that's the other 23 hours of the day, and we have to live in that, in that world. So the last thing I'm gonna to leave you with, again, there's no third visit. So it's like the, the original um, How It Works when they said, reread the book, and if you still don't get it and you still don't believe, then throw the book away, because nothing's gonna help you. And that was what the attitude was of the first 100. They were really serious about it. They didn't cut corners, and they wanted us to understand the severity of the disease of alcoholism. And we know that most people who are alcoholic, who sober up in AA, eventually die an alcoholic death. And that's because we're not sticking to the steps and doing the work. 
And I've told you guys plenty of times, I sobered up in 1987 with about 80 people, and there are five of us who are still sober, which is about 5%, right? It's pretty bad. Um, and that's a direct result of people not working the 12 steps or stopping working the 12 steps for the most part. So chapter 7 is now tied to chapter 11. Um, chapter 11 is that vision for you. My vision and my job and everything in my life begins now with me creating the fellowship that I crave. I get to take this power that my higher power has given me and share it with another human being so that that human being can reconstruct their life. How cool is that? When I walked in Alcoholics Anonymous, I checked out all the women that I was going to date. I was trying to get out of jail. I didn't want to talk to people about the big book. I wanted to do the bare minimum and get the maximum result. Um, and now, after the 12 steps, all that changes. And we become, we have at least the opportunity to be gentle, loving, kind, considerate, humble, but empowered people um, in the 12 steps. So with that, I want to thank you guys for listening. It's about a half hour.